Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. Dr. Bill Harris has been researching fatty acids for over 40 years. To date, he has published over 300 papers on these nutrients and recently has been ranked in the top 2% of scientists worldwide. The founder of Omega Quant and president of the newly formed Fatty Acid Research Institute joins me now from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Welcome to the NutriCast, Dr. Harris. Oh, thank you for having me, Danielle. And congratulations on this honor of being named in the top 2% of scientists worldwide. Were you aware of this and, and it was going on, or how did you find out about this honor? Oh, I found out about it. A friend of mine who's a biostatistician ran into it somewhere and sent me a text congratulating me. And I said, what's that about? So I looked it up and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like there was a vote or anything. <laughs> Some researchers in, in California just were very interested in general idea of how you rank scientific output in that general question across the board. And so they, they're the ones that put together uh, this list of scientists and how much, quote, impact they've had based on how their papers that the any given scientist publishes, how often are they cited or referred to by other people? That's sort of the general idea. Okay, so that's how they measured the impact that the scientists were making, and ultimately right. that's how they decided it was in that top 2%. Well, they included about 160,000 scientists worldwide and across all disciplines. And then they gave each one of them a number and then you could just rank it from the you know, 99th percentile to the first percentile. You can figure out where you're at just looking at your score. So that's what, what they did. That's uh, where I found out about it. Well, that's pretty impressive. 160,000 scientists. I mean, that's, that's a lot of people. Yeah, I know. I mean, and some of them are not with us anymore either. So it's not just living scientists. So there's some dead ones too. Wow. Okay. So just looking at some of your accomplishments, this included, I mean, what, what do you think your greatest impact has been? Is there a particular finding or something that you feel was a defining moment in your career? Well, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about that. I know that I have been pretty consistent, probably more than most scientists, stuck on one theme my whole career with a very few diversions, but it's been the omega-3 story. And, uh, if you're going to pick a topic to study, you've got to hope that it continues to fruit because I could have gone down a dead end, you know, gotten interested in nutrient X that nobody ever cared about and never did anything. But it turns out omega-3 was a, a great course to get on early on, and the ride has been fun. So I guess there's a few papers that stand out. Review articles that you write um, are typically well-cited by other people. And that gives you a little higher score. Other papers I've been on have been, say, uh, official statements like of the American Heart Association, for example. That, and there's 20 authors on it. And I'm one of them. And that paper, every time that official statement of the AHA gets cited by somebody else, it's a citation for me, even though I wasn't the first author on it. So that's kind of the way the game plays. And you co-invented the Omega-3 Index in 2004, and it's been used by, you know, hundreds of various research papers. But yeah. for those who may not know, what is the Omega-3 Index test? Yeah, the Omega-3 Index is a blood test, 
and it's measured um, in red blood cell membranes. So we're very interested in the amount of EPA and DHA carried in the membrane. Uh, of course, all, all cells in the body have membranes and the membranes are all made up of uh, phospholipids and the phospholipids are made up of fatty acids. So membranes are rich in fatty acids and the particular amount of omega-3 EPA DHA in red blood cell membranes is a reflection of their levels in all the other tissues in the body, except maybe the brain, which is a little tough. The brain is very well protected. Uh, I'm not, there's a lot of omega-3 in the brain, but the, the red blood cell doesn't reflect it so well. But the heart, the liver, the muscle, uh, other standard organs are reflected by the red blood cell. And we measure that easily with the dried blood spot tests or our actual blood draw. So we, Came up with this test in 2004, or published it in 2004, and proposed uh, target levels based on the evidence that was available then. And that was focused on, uh, you know, what's what's a omega-3 level that's associated with the lowest risk for cardiovascular death? That was kind of the endpoint we looked at then. And that has proven to be, and, and the number we came up with was about 8%. 8% of the fatty acids in the, in the cell membrane were EPA plus DHA. Yeah, most Americans are around four or five percent. People in, who eat chronically high fish diets like the Japanese or Koreans, they're up in nine, 10, 11 percent omega-3 index. And uh, it's been a very useful marker. It's been a very productive. It really wasn't a discovery. It was more of a development. And Dr. Von Shackey and I, we were the two that came up with the idea. We've been uh, using this metric in a lot of different studies and it's bearing fruit in all of them. So it's, um, it's turned out to be a very handy metric. And what are some of the health risks associated with low omega-3 levels? Where we started, of course, was, was heart disease, cardiovascular disease and risk for sudden cardiac death. That's where the, the field began in terms of linking omega-3 index to uh, a disease. That's been expanded uh, over the years, uh, we've seen relationships of a low omega-3 index increases risk for developing dementia, for example. That's been seen. It's certainly associated also with some conditions in the eye, like dry eye disease uh, and potentially macular degeneration. Diseases of the lung uh, have been shown to be, uh, there's less inflammation in the lung if the omega-3 index is higher. Probably the most important metric of all is death. That's the, the cleanest and clearest metric to measure. And we have consistently shown, and we'll be publishing actually in a couple of days, and uh, the biggest study yet that looked at blood omega-3 levels, and including the omega-3 index, uh, but other, other, other metrics as well, other omega-3 metrics in the blood. And we've looked in about 45,000 people around the world who were part of 17 different studies looked at the relationship between the omega-3 index and their risk for death over a period of roughly 16 years. And that's sort of the average follow-up time in these 17 studies. And we pooled all that data together and shown that in this very large data set, the higher the omega-3 index, we actually look at the highest omega-3 index, which is roughly 75 to 8% in this particular study I'm talking about compared to the lowest omega-3, which is about three and a half to four, there is about a 13 to 15% reduction in risk for death. 
in people in those two groups. So for the high omega-3, lower risk for death uh, from any cause. And that, that was one of the most interesting findings, I think. Not, it's not just total mortality is reduced. In, in other words, the, the opposite of mortality, obviously, is living longer. So we've actually seen a, what amounts to an increased uh, longevity. Yeah, death. I mean, you can't get more certain than that. No, um, no, no question about that. But the interesting thing, we saw the relationship with death from cardiovascular disease, which not a, was not a surprise. Again, higher omega-3, lower risk for death from heart disease. But we also saw it in cancer, and we also saw it in all other causes of death combined. So it wasn't that the omega-3s are just uh, associated with benefit and heart health. It's with everything. It seems to be across the board, higher omega-3s is associated with better overall health. Now, you mentioned a few populations that have higher omega-3 levels. I mean, is there ever a point where there's too much, where it could, could also have risk factors associated with it? Um, that's a great question, and we think about that a lot. Uh, there really hasn't been, I mean, if you look at populations like the Japanese or the Koreans, one thing that, you know, the Japanese do live longer, about four to five years longer on average than, than Americans do. We can't certainly attribute all that to omega-3. But there is a potential concern having a really high omega-3. There may be a, uh, maybe when it's coupled with a high blood pressure, an increased risk for stroke. Uh, and the Japanese do have more risk for stroke, but they have higher blood pressure too, which can also explain it. But fundamentally, no, we really have not seen any obvious downside to being up in 10, 10 11, 12% omega-3 index. There's very few people up there. I mean, certainly in America, there's right. only about, you know, three to 4% of Americans have an omega-3 index over eight. So it's, it's very rare in the U.S. So we're not worried about reaching toxic levels because we've never even seen them in, in you know, populations that eat high doses. Mm-hmm. So I know you've said that omega-3 levels are just as important as cholesterol levels, if not more important. Uh, why would you say that? Well, that's because it was a result of a study we did, um, for one thing, because we did look at, uh, again, risk for death as a function of omega-3 in one specific cohort called the Framingham study, Framingham Heart Study, which is well, very well-known prospective cohort uh, epidemiologic study. We were looking at uh, the omega-3 index as a predictor for early mortality and found, as I said, it, it does predict. But in the same study, in the same people, uh, in the same statistical model, because you have to adjust for things um, when you do these analyses. And so in the same model, um, we asked, is cholesterol a predictor of risk for death? And it was not at all. Uh, so in that one study, we know that the omega-3 index was more informative, more predictive of risk for death than cholesterol is. And we need to look at that in other settings as well. But that's part of why we say that the omega-3 index is at least as informative, just to be generous, as cholesterol. Not that cholesterol is something that should be ignored by any means. Uh, it's just to say, if you're interested in your cholesterol level, then you should be doubly interested in your omega-3 index. And given the, the significance of this, I mean, is this something you can ask your doctor for? Can they provide omega-3 for you, write a prescription, and would insurance cover that? Uh, yeah, that's great. What we do uh, at OmegaQuant, we, we do not bill insurance for people in the same way that the major national laboratories do. 
so the test is available direct to consumer for us, and then people pay for it out of their pocket. The price is uh, about $50 for a omega-3 test. We do it under the dried blood spots, send you a kit at home, and you collect a drop of blood and mail it back to us, and then we send you the result. There are other uh, labs do offer an omega-3 test. It's not the omega-3 index. It's measured. There's measured in plasma. Um, we don't think that's as good a test because it's, it's noisier in, in the blood levels. The, the plasma levels of omega-3 go up and down day to day more so than red blood cell omega-3 levels. When we're talking about, you know, it should be a plasma test or a red blood cell test. We use the analogy of, of blood glucose, serum glucose, which varies a lot throughout the day as you eat, of course. But hemoglobin A1C or the A1C level, which is a red blood cell-based glucose marker, is much more stable, much longer flexion of, of glucose status. So in the same way, the red blood cell omega-3 is a much better predictor of your tissue omega-3 levels than a, than a serum level. But having said that, there are most doctors, if, if a patient asks, can I get my omega-3, they would scratch their head and say, why would you even ask that? Because uh, they don't understand. You know, I, of course, I've been enmeshed in this for a long time. It's very obvious to me why a doctor would want that, a patient would want that. Uh, but we have a, a lot of education to go through to get doctors to change. Yeah, well, it starts with the education of doctors themselves. I mean, as most of us know, they don't really receive any formal education on dietary supplements. No, they do not. And uh, hopefully, so they hopefully will learn by reading the literature. And like I said, we're going to publish the largest study yet to show that a high omega-3 index is a good predictor of a longer life. That's something doctors ought to pay attention to. And that hasn't been published yet? It'll be published on the 22nd of April. Okay. In a journal called Nature Communications. It'll be I've on never one. heard of it. Was there a nature? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say. Um, so what would you say this test has meant to the field of personalized health? Well, I think it's one of the vanguard. I mean, vitamin D is another course that people think of when they think about personalized health, particularly nutritional health. Uh, we're not measuring. So the omega-3 index, vitamin D are not really medical tests. They're nutritional status tests. And the, the benefit of them, of course, is they're very easy to change. Uh, it, it's, it's very simple. If your omega-3 index is low, eat more EPA and DHA, whether it's from fish or from dietary supplements. If your vitamin D is low, get out in the sun more or take a vitamin D supplement. The action point is very clear and simple to understand. These are some of the tests that are the most, are leading the way, I think, in personalized nutritional uh, testing for people. Vitamin D and omega-3? Yeah. You um, recently formed a nonprofit, the Fatty Acid Research Institute, or FARI. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, we, f we founded OmegaQuant around 2009, so 10 or 11 years ago. And, you know, honestly, I'm not a, I'm not a businessman. And the, the business of running a lab and, you know, how much do you charge the test and how do you discount it and how much margin do you give people, yada, 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 uh, is just not the thing that brings my chimes. So I've been looking forward to being able to pass the business side of this off to the next generation. And I was able to do that last year 
to our CEO, Jason Polrice, and uh, our director of research, who happens to be my daughter. Uh, so there's some satisfaction in that. Christina Jackson, she's a PhD uh, RD uh, from Penn State. So she is, uh, those two pretty much are running the Omega Quant business now. And I was able to sort of get, get out of that. And that's when I decided to form the Fatty Acid Research Institute so that we could uh, really, I could focus completely on accelerating the publication of fatty acid health related papers. And so that's what we're doing and it's having, having a lot of fun with it. And you've been doing this for over 40 years and you're still not tired of it. No, no. I mean, the, the, the fact that we have a, the omega-3 index, a marker of omega-3 status allows, it's, it's a huge sandbox to play in. Um, now we have, once we have data from thousands and thousands of people on their omega-3 level, then we know how healthy they are or how sick they are, or what their risks are. We can study those relationships and publish them and, and let the world know that yeah, omega-3 levels really do mean something. They're very important and they're very manipulable. They're changeable. Uh, it's, it's uh, of course, an easy test to do and it's cheap and safe to modify those levels just by increasing omega-3 levels. So you mentioned a little bit of the research you're working on. Is there anything else that you're working on at Fari that you can tell us about? Yeah, we are interested in uh, just starting to put together a, a COVID study uh, at Omega Quant. They, um, roughly eight or 9,000 people have sent in dried blood spots during the, for, for their own omega-3 index testing uh, during the pandemic. So we're preparing a, uh, we have an approval now from the uh, ethics committee to send out a questionnaire to all those people to see who's, what their experience with COVID has been. And our, our hope is to be able to link their own omega-3 index with their results, with their reported symptomatology from COVID and see if we have a relationship that we can dig out. Um, we also have access to United Kingdom, the UK Biobank, which is a huge data set that's been developed, of course, in England, linking blood levels of, of all kinds of things they measure in the blood from cholesterol to fatty acids with um, disease outcomes in hundreds of thousands of people. And we applied for access to that and we're now able to proceed with that um, study as well. And we're looking at uh, markers of inflammation, how omega-3 levels um, associate with uh, inflammation markers, because we think good evidence that higher omega-3 is just associated with lower risk of of uh, inflammation across the all body systems. Um, so that's, that's a fun study we've been working on right now as well. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a lot of exciting stuff in the works, but what, what keeps you up at night? Well, hopefully nothing. <laughs> sleep, sleep is important. <laughs> it certainly is. But are there any burning questions that you're trying to figure out that, you know, you've been looking into and you're, you're still trying to find the answers to? Well, yeah. In, in the overall one, we've kind of discussed it, you know, how, how to get a test like this into routine medicine. That's, that's the biggest challenge for us. Um, and it partly it's a challenge because unlike a, a serum cholesterol test, which is conceptually very simple, it's you're measuring one molecule and you're measuring its concentration in the serum, uh, the blood serum. And it's easy to standardize. Everybody who does it does this, uses the same standards. And so a cholesterol level of 200 from lab A and 
200 from lab B mean the same thing. They're standardized. It's for fatty acids, it's very difficult because number one, we express it, the omega-3 levels as a percent of other fatty acids. And so you've got to measure all 26 to 28 fatty acids in order to get an omega-3 index. And not, not many labs can do that. And some labs report plasma levels, which are different numerically than the red blood cell level. Sometimes they're reported as concentrations in the blood instead of percent in the blood. And that's a different metric. So this is a big challenge is to try and standardize an omega-3 status test that can be used routinely in medicine. So if there's anything that's my, my big goal, that's it. I think it's achievable. Do you? And, and if so, yeah. when, when do you think, think it'll so. happen? I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime. <laughs> uh, it, just, it just takes, I mean, I look at CRP. Uh, so high sensitivity CRP, which is kind of everybody knows is a marker of inflammation. It took about 20 years to get that through all the hoops and humps of um, approval by the medical societies. And this is what you're gonna need, is gonna need, number one, you're gonna need to show people that it really makes a difference and it saves lives and reduces cost. And that's our, our goal, we'll be meeting, hopefully with uh, one of the major labs that does life insurance blood testing. And if anybody should be interested in a metric in the blood that can predict risk for death, it should be the life insurance industry. At least that would make sense to me. So that may be the place we start where every time you get a life insurance physical, if they know, you know, they know if you smoke, they know if you, what your cholesterol is, they know what your blood pressure is. Well, they ought to know what your omega-3 is if they're going to try and figure out how much to charge you for a premium. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I, th I think that probably is going to be the shortest path is, is to start with that industry, the laboratory. Um, testing for life insurance. Mm -hmm. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. And you yeah. know, if not in your lifetime, perhaps in your daughter's, she'll see that. Yeah, that's a great, great joy to have my daughter. Yeah. And she's, she's more of an expert in the early life nutrition, uh, prenatal. Of course, she's had two kids and she's thinking about that a lot. And breast milk, we have a breast milk omega-3 test that moms can do while they're lactating. You just put a drop of milk on a card and mail it in and we'll tell them how much of the DHA, which is sort of the most important one during brain development, how much DHA is in their milk. We have a, a, a test that's very similar to the omega-3 index, but it's called the prenatal DHA test, which is a blood test that pregnant women can take. And they would then know if their blood levels of DHA are in the right range. Um, it, it's particularly interesting in this prenatal world where Women with a, a, a low, quite low DHA level in the blood are at a considerably increased risk for preterm delivery. And that's something that can be modified. Uh, and we're working very hard to try to get that into the OB world. Mm -hmm. That's a, that study came out not too long ago, right? Yeah, the one, there was a big meta-analysis from the Cochrane group um, that said, Giving DHA to uh, women while they're pregnant does reduce risk for preterm birth. And so we know the blood levels is how you can know if you're low. Uh, some women don't need extra DHA or a lot extra. They all need DHA, but they don't need a lot extra. Some are particularly low in DHA and they really need to have higher doses than their prenatal vitamins given them. 
And so that level is important for every stage of life. I think so. I think so. Yeah. In childhood and teenage years, I think that's, it's, there's a lot of research that needs to be done there in terms of behaviors and how omega-3 might affect like ADHD, et cetera. There's a lot of interest in the whole world of psychiatry and psychiatric illnesses and omega-3 levels being depleted, partly because the the brain is so rich in omega-3 that it's a natural place to look for potential problems. If uh, levels are low, then there may be some diseases that show up. So that's a a big area of research, as well as simply, you know, sports nutrition and uh, joint health are are places where the omega-3 show up, as well as eye diseases. Some of them are uh, amenable to uh, being improved by omega-3 supplementation. Wow, there is this so much out there in terms of omega-3 research, and you're still working on it after all these years, and I I imagine there's still so much for you to learn. Oh, there is. There really is. And I'm still uh, 1.4% of people ahead of me. So I got, got my work cut out for me. <laughs> well, we'll keep climbing there, Dr. Harris. And thank you so much for coming on the NutriCast today. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutriCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutriIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutri-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.